Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Hey, I am so excited to be with you guys. My name is JR, and I'm actually the uh, campus pastor of our Burbank campus. And, uh, and so, yeah, uh, so honored to be with you guys. And before we jump in, hey, can we take a moment and just welcome everyone that is joining us online this morning? Can we give them a huge welcome as well? Wherever you're watching from, if you're joining us live or on demand, we are just so glad that you are with us, and thank you for spending your Sunday with us. I know I don't look like the guy who's normally here. I don't have a beard. Um, you know, I don't have the cool, slick back hair that he does, and, and, uh, but hey, I'm just honored to be with you guys this morning, and I love, love, love that we are one church with many campuses, because I think it's a helpful reminder uh, for all of us, that what we're a part of is bigger than the part that we play. And, um, and so before we jump into the word, I think sometimes when you're in uh, one place or you're in something for so long, um, you kind of forget how good you have it sometimes. And um, I want to take a moment to honor your campus pastors, uh, Adam and Gretchen, who are absolutely incredible leaders um, and have welcomed my wife and I uh, with massive open arms um, since we've been in California. And so can we take a moment to honor your campus pastors? And... Uh, just like uh, Pastor Moses said, you know, if you want to buy Adam a cruise, uh, I'm sure he would gladly um, enjoy that or give him a briefcase of money. Um, <laughs> I saw that. I was like, that's hilarious. I wonder how many people are going to actually catch that. Uh, but hey, I, again, my name is JR and my wife, Tess, and I, we are actually new to South Hills Church. Uh, we moved from New York City uh, to California uh, two months ago. And uh, we've been here for two months, and we absolutely have enjoyed it. We were in New York City uh, leading a church community there uh, in Brooklyn, New York, for the last six years uh, before God bringing us out here to be a part of uh, what an incredible uh, church and an incredible thing that God is doing here at South Hills Church. And so we're super honored to be here. I uh, wanted to show you my wife, since she couldn't be with us this morning. That's my wife, Tess. And... Uh, and we look very fancy. I found the fanciest picture I could find um, of us, and uh, this is us at a wedding recently. And so uh, we've been married for five and a half years, and, uh, and so we, again, are just honored to be a part of what God's doing here at South Hills. We don't have any kids, but we are expecting our first. Yeah. My wife is 22 weeks pregnant, and uh, we are super excited. And uh, hopefully tomorrow we'll be able to find out the gender, um, if it's a boy or a girl, uh, which is super exciting. Praying it's a boy. <laughs> I'm so honest. But I would love a girl. I, I really would. But I just, I, I, just, I just had this vision for my life, that my first kid would be a boy and that we would get to dress alike. And uh, it just, I, I don't know. I, I would love that. So um, we have one dog uh, named Jack, who I believe we have a picture of Jack. And uh, this is Jack uh, living his best stoop life in Brooklyn. And um, don't let the cuteness fool you. Uh, we're still praying for Jack's salvation. Um, <laughs> he does not know the Lord yet. Uh, Jack looks cute. He is wild, absolutely wild. He's, uh, 
he is five and a half years old as well. And, um, but people think he's a puppy because of how wild he is. And, um, and so be praying for Jack um, and uh, pray that he comes to know who Jesus is. Uh, but no, again, just super excited to be here. I, I love, I love, love, love that, that this church family is so big and um, honored to be here. My wife uh, is originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's where she was born. And, uh, but her dad was a chaplain in the Air Force. And so they literally lived all over the world. Um, in fact, New York City was the place that she lived the longest. And so to her, New York City is where she says that she's from. Me, on the other hand, um, I was born in South Korea. Um, and then we moved to California when I was one. My dad finished his time in the military um, in Oakland, California. And then we moved to Atlanta, uh, where I spent most of my life. Any Dodger fans in here this morning? Yeah, gotcha. Is it too soon? Is it too soon? Is it too soon? Um, yeah, we did that last night. You better believe. I, I mean, literally, I... I, I I could, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, but I grew up in Atlanta, uh, spent most of my life in Atlanta, uh, moved to South Florida um, maybe 10 years ago, and uh, that's where I met my wife, and then we moved to New York City, um, where we moved here from, and uh, we're just super excited to be here. Before we jump into the work, I gotta share this story. We're super excited to be having a kid, and uh, I'm half black, half Korean, my wife is white, and um, when we got married, we were shopping for like, you know, stuff that you need in your apartment. Our apartment in Manhattan was, our first apartment was maybe 500 square feet. Um, and we had the dog. Um, yeah, it was a nightmare. Um, and, uh, and it cost like a million dollars a month. Um, and uh, so when we were shopping for things to put in our home, you know, you need like basic things like a salt and pepper shaker, right? Um, but we were shopping, and I found these salt and pepper shakers that I thought were just, I just had to have them. They were two pandas that were salt and pepper shakers. And I'm like freaking out, like, Tessa, gotta get these salt, salt and pepper panda shakers. And she's like, why is this such a big deal? I was like, Tessa, we have to have these. And she's like, why is this such a big deal? I was like, Tessa, you don't see it? These will be our kids one day. <laughs> Black, white, panda, adjacent, Tess. And, uh, and so, and we still have them. We still have them. And, uh, and so, uh, unfortunately, in our move, uh, one of the uh, shakers broke. And I think that was just a word from the Lord that said we weren't having twins. Praise the Lord. Because uh, I don't know what I would do. Um, and if I'm honest, there's part of me that is still kind of freaking out. Like, I, I've heard stories of people going to, uh, you know, pa even past the 20-week mark, and they go and they have this ultrasound, and there's another kid hiding behind the other kid. That has been, like, floating in my head, and I'm, like, freaking out. So if you would pray for us um, that God's will for our life would be to have one kid this time around, because honestly, I don't know what I would do. Um, and so again, hey, we're just super honored to be with you guys. And how many of you guys have enjoyed Family Month so far? Uh, I honestly, I love that we as a church are taking time to talk about how to have healthy relationships, especially within uh, our family and with those who are closest to us. Because I think uh, I don't know about for for you, but for me. I found it most difficult to navigate relationship dynamics and maybe even relationship issues with the people that I'm closest with. And when you think about it, you would think that those would be the people it'd be easiest with, 
But in fact, it's usually the people that you're closest with, like your family, where it's actually the hardest to navigate. And so um, as we've been going through this series, I've been challenged and encouraged myself uh, to think about how I can apply uh, some of the things that we're talking about um, this whole month. And so uh, we pray that it's been encouraging and challenging and equipping for you. Um, No matter where you are on the journey of faith, at the end of the day, um, we want to live our life in such a way that would be honoring to God as we pursue the ways of Jesus together. Um, And so this morning, what we're going to be talking about is how to change what we're not in charge of. How to change what we're not in charge of. And some of you are like, that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. I think a lot of things in our life, it's all about perspective. It's all about how we choose to look at things. Now, how many of us in the room like to travel? Anybody here like to travel? Anybody? Okay, everybody. Yeah, most people. Um, How many of you like uh, flying on planes? You enjoy, you enjoy that? Okay, some of you. Wow, maybe that's a California thing. Y'all don't like getting on planes? Um, now, how many of you who travel, regardless of if you like planes or not, but when you have to travel by plane, how many of you like layovers? Okay, I guess I'm the only one. Okay. Uh, a lot, <laughs> the whole room, you guys are all like my wife. Um, she loathes layovers, um, whereas for me, I just do anything I can to save some money. Um, And so if a layover is going to save me a hundred bucks, yeah, sign me up. Uh, In fact, we were going to visit her family. Uh, At the time, her family was living in a small town in northeastern Nevada called Elko. Um, Anybody ever heard of Elko? Wow. That's the first time I've ever said that and anybody's heard of it. Um, It's a very small town. Uh, we were living in South Florida at the time, and, um, and so to fly to Elko, we flew to Salt Lake City, and then you had to drive three and a half hours to get there. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a trek. Um, and then just add four layovers to that. That's what I did, because it saved me $100. <laughs> uh, I was just trying to save money. Um, and my wife, when she found out, when she like looked at the, uh, we checked in at the airport, and, you know, they, if you have the layover, they print you a boarding pass for each stop. And when it just kept printing boarding passes, she looked at me and was like, where are we going? I said, we're going to Nevada. And she said, what? Why do we have so many boarding passes? Because I was trying to save money. And let me just tell you, I've never booked a flight with a layover ever again. Um, she just, she just wasn't happy. But w- the reason I share that story is there are moments when you travel and you're flying, getting on a flight. Uh, anybody ever been at the gate and then all of a sudden they tell you that your flight is delayed? And then you're trying to figure out why it's delayed. So you go to the counter and look, if you work at the airport, I, I'm praying for you because sometimes you have to deal with ratchet people like me. Um, I, I just, I know I have my moments. And so um, and then you have to deal with my wife. Uh, and, uh, and so, I, I, you know, y- your flight's delayed. And, and most of us, when we're trying to get to a destination, we just want to get to the destination, right? That's, that's the goal. We just want to get from point A to point B. We don't want any layovers. We don't want any delays. But when you're at the airport and they, they say, oh, your flight's delayed 40 minutes or an hour, sometimes longer than that. And then you go to the counter, you're like, hey, why is my flight delayed? And they tell you, oh, it's because of weather. Okay, well, outside, it's sunny, no rain, no snow, looks fine to me. Oh, let me just look up what the weather's like, where I'm going. Oh, it's also sunny. 
and no rain, no snow. So what is this weather that you speak of? That's my, that's my approach. And, and it's in these moments where we almost feel like we are powerless. Like clearly we're not in charge of, uh, of, of the, the, making these delays, setting these delays, setting these paths even that sometimes these planes take. I don't know about you, but when we were flying from, when we lived in New York, we would go visit uh, my mom in Atlanta uh, because I was the layover king. Um, I was booking the flight with the layover and we would fly from New York to Miami and then to Atlanta. That makes no sense, right? At least if you have a layover, let me stop on the way. But we're not in charge of those things, right? Now, how many of us could say that if we were in charge of those things, we probably would change them? right? How many of us have these things in our life? We have these areas in our life where there are things, maybe it's at our job, maybe it's even within our family dynamic, uh, whatever it is, there are things in your life that you don't get to make the decision on. But how many of us have had these moments where maybe our boss makes a decision, maybe our mom or dad makes a decision, and we're like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Why would we do that? Why would we ever do that? And then you go, out, go home and you're laying up at night, awake, full of anxiety because you're like, man, that decision is going to ruin everything. Or uh, you're just talking about, uh, talking about it to everybody else at work about how uh, just ridiculous that decision was that your boss made. And, uh, and so how many of you find yourself maybe in a situation or have been in a situation where you've had this thought that there is something that I would like to change if I were in charge, but I'm not, so I can't. Like, if we're honest, we've all had that experience. And so none of us in the room like the feeling of being powerless, right? Nobody likes that feeling. Nobody likes feeling like you don't have the say in decisions that are being made. Um, And maybe this includes within our own family. Uh, I remember being a kid, and as a kid, you don't get to choose where you live. You don't get to choose what you eat, you know, most of the time. And, uh, and so my mom would make food that I didn't want to eat. So I wouldn't eat it. I literally remember there was, a, there was a period where I didn't like the food that my mom was making. And it's not that it was bad food. I've come to learn that it was really good food. Um, I eat it all the time now. Uh, but as a kid, it's like, oh, that's a little weird. Um, and so I would put the food in our sofa, um, and my sister graciously would not tell on me. Um, and I would just put it all in the sofa when my parents would leave the table. I'd just go to the living room sofa and just stuff the food in there. And then, you know, obviously me being a kid, I'm not thinking, but obviously there's a period where your parents come and they need to clean the sofa and they're pulling up the cushions and there's, I mean, it was gross, guys. It was, it was really bad. It was really bad. But as a kid, I didn't get to make those decisions. And even as a kid, I think there's some kids, I know I was like this, I didn't even like that sense of feeling powerless with basic decisions like what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear. Honestly, what I wear, still my mom wants to have a say in that. Um, uh, You guys think I'm kidding. I'm not. Um, uh, Whenever I know my mom is watching uh, our service online, which she lets me know ahead of time, thank God, um, I make sure I don't wear pants with holes in them. It drives her crazy. And uh, she will call me right after, and she said, why would you wear those pants? I say, Mom, what's wrong with these pants? They're pants. She's like, yeah, but, but they got holes in them. 
you can't get up and talk about the Bible with holes in your pants. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, cool, great. And, uh, and the reason I'm wearing pants without holes in them today is because she is watching. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but these are all things that, like, as a kid, we're not in charge of. But I think we continue to experience these things. You know, there are areas in your life, maybe within your family, uh, that you don't realize there's power dynamics at play. There always are. And, uh, and so what we want to help you kind of understand today is, it's not that we shouldn't do anything, especially if there's something that we feel like should look different, but there is a way to approach changing what we're not in charge of in a way that's honoring and respectful to the people that we're navigating those dynamics with. You know, maybe, uh, you know, the thought that comes to mind is, well, I don't really like what we do with our money, but I'm not the one who balances the budget or pays the bills. Or maybe it's, I don't like the way that our kids talk to each other, but I'm, I'm not the one home with them all day. Or uh, everybody signs up for all these things and our family is always go, 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 go all the time and I wish we could change it. Or maybe the thought is, I don't even wanna go to college or to this specific college, but I don't really have a choice. Uh, that was me, I didn't have a choice on what college uh, I wanted to go to. Fortunately, I wasn't smart enough to get into the college that I was supposed to go to. Uh, but I did get, get into college, and it all worked out. Uh, University of Georgia, any dog fans in the house? Come on. Number one team in the country. Beat Alabama. Come on. We're going to do it this year. Um, any Falcons fans here? Gosh. Well, we'll pray for y'all at the end of the service. Um, and, uh, but... You know, I, I think they're all, we have these moments in our life where we're like, you know, I, I don't really want to do that, but I'm feeling like I'm being forced to do that. And so how do I navigate that relationship dynamic, especially within my family or especially within those that I'm closest with that I consider my family? If you have your Bible, turn with me to chapter, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and uh, we're going to read through a collection of verses in 16 and 17. Um, and we're going to see how David navigates uh, changing what he's not in charge of. And I think it's really helpful. Um, you know, I think for some of us, the default when it comes to this issue is uh, we just silently do what's being asked, even though it's eating away at us on the inside. How many of you would say you fall into that category? Even though it's eating away at me, I, I just, I'm just going to silently do what's being asked. Some of us, uh, we just don't care, and our impulse is to aggressively push back and speak out, um, refusing to budge an inch. And some of you just nudge your spouse. Um, if you're here with your spouse, you're like, hey, that's you. I think he's talking about you. Um, and uh, that's my wife. Um, and, uh, and I'm the first, I'm the first, first thought, is, is I just will silently just keep doing things even though it's eating away at me on the inside. And what's funny is neither of those strategies actually work. Neither of those strategies actually get us closer to our goal. In fact, one of those strategies probably uh, leaves us not liking ourselves, while the other strategy uh, leaves other people not liking us. I think you can figure out which strategies <laughs> fall into which category. But 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to start in verse, uh, verse 6. I'm going to read 6 through 13, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation uh, this morning. And this is what it says. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Anybody glad for that? I'm glad for that. 
then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And it's, uh, Jesse's response is, they're still the youngest. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. It's got to be pretty cool to be uh, called, like, described that way in the Bible, that, that God would describe you as having handsome features. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So what we see in this first collection of verses is that David is anointed as God's chosen one. David is being anointed as the king of Israel. And so David gets a glimpse by being anointed and appointed as the chosen one. David gets a glimpse into a destination, a future destination that God has for his life. God gives David a glimpse that he has this huge plan for his life, and and God sees it, the prophet, uh, Samuel sees it, but what's so funny is that his family doesn't see it at all. In fact, Jesse is, is surprised that this is the one that's being chosen. And, you know, they talk about David not being, uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't super tall. So David, when you look at David, he doesn't have this super strong appearance, you know? And he doesn't, like, like Pastor Adam, you know, man, first time I met Pastor Adam, I was like, gosh, man, hey, how you doing? Then we went in for, like, the high five hug. I was like, oh, my gosh. I feel so safe. <laughs> and, uh. But, but David, on the other hand, was just this, this kind of short, uh, you know, clearly he, he had some handsome features, but he wasn't this like person that you would think of as being God, the one that God would choose to be king. He didn't have that kind of presence. Um, and, and, but this is the one that God chooses and his family doesn't see it at all. How many of you have been in a situation where maybe you have felt like God's given you a vision for your life or he's given you a glimpse of a future destination that he has for you and you're talking to your family about it, you're talking to your friends about it and they're just looking at you like you're crazy. Anybody ever been there? I've been there. When I was a kid, I just thought that God had planned for my life to become a professional athlete. Why are you laughing? I was dead serious. And... Uh, I wanted to be a basketball player, a professional basketball player. That wasn't going to happen. Um, unfortunately, my dad is 6'9". Um, my mom is maybe five feet, and you can see where I ended up. Um, and uh, uh, so I-, I just had this vision to be a professional athlete. Clearly, it was not from God. Um, but as I would tell my parents and my friends this, they would just look at me like I was like, what? No, you don't have the potential for that. And, uh, and like, like, this is how short I was. Going into ninth grade, I was four foot ten. Yeah, thank you for the O. Thank you. Uh, but, and so this idea of me being a professional athlete was just out of the picture. I mean, there were people who were like, you can't even make the varsity team. They didn't see that potential. Fortunately, I had a coach who did see the potential in having a shorter player on the team like me. 
Even though I never got in the games, I was there for moral support, and I did a great job. (laughs) But this is what's happening to David. David is being anointed. He's chosen, but no one in his family sees it. They're like, "What what is God doing? Why would God choose him? But let's keep reading. Verse 18, it says this. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man. And the Lord is with him. Man, David, could you imagine the word of God saying you are fine? (laughs) Ah, David's pretty cool. But here's, here's why I share that one verse is finally... It's not just God who sees it. It's not just the prophet Samuel who sees it. But now somebody else is seeing what God sees in David. And here's the funny part is right after this verse, uh, his family still doesn't see it. And how do we know that? Because they immediately send him back out to the field to tend to the sheep. And so David's probably wondering like, well, God chose me. Why am I going back out to the field? I'm supposed to be the one giving the orders. I'm supposed to be the one in charge. And you're sending me back out. We're going to jump to chapter 17, verses 17 through 20. This is what it says. It says, Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this path of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Now, if I'm David, I'm thinking this is not something that the next king of Israel ought to be doing. I should not be being sent out to bring cheese and bread to my brothers who were in battle. I should be the one giving the orders. Why do you have me doing these low-level tasks? I don't like the decisions that you're making. I don't like the way you're running this family. And I feel like as as God's chosen one, I should have more influence than I do. And you guys need to start seeing me the way that God sees me and think about me the way that God speaks about me. But you guys don't listen to me. I don't have any influence here. Nobody cares what I think. That's what David, honestly, is probably thinking. That's probably what David felt. And all of us, if we're honest, we have felt that way in situations as well, right? And so here's the thing, though. David, even if he felt that way, he did not act that way. David may have felt all of those things, but he didn't allow his feelings to then dictate his actions. What David seemed to understand, which is surprising given how young he was, is that this, and I want to encourage you to write this down, a destination is always attached to a path. If we want to get to our destination, we have to walk down this road. A destination is always attached to a path, and if we want to get to our destination, we have to walk down this road. David's approach wasn't, I deserve this, I'm owed this, I'm going to push my way in. Instead, David's approach and what our approach should be when we're trying to navigate how to change things that we're not in charge of is to simply ask ourselves this question. What can I do inside my current set of circumstances to grow into this? 
that is clear to me. That's what David's approach was. David's approach was, what can I do inside of my current set of circumstances to grow into being ready for this destination that God has for me? But we live in a world and a society right now that is simply focused not on how we get there, but how quickly we can get there. Right? How many of us, like, you guys said it. When you guys travel, y'all just want to get to the destination. We have to understand that same mentality starts to get into every other area of our life. I remember, I remember my first job at a church. I'll never forget this. My first job at a church. I said, you know, I don't work, I don't want to work for the church. And, um, and this woman came up to me and she was like, okay, well, what we need is we need you to clean uh, the auditorium. I was like, no, that's not what I signed up for. I need a microphone. Um, at the time, I was uh, uh, a worship pastor. I was like, give me the guitar. And they said, oh, no, 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 you don't get up on the, uh, you don't get up on the platform for six months. I said, oh, I think I signed up for the wrong thing then. Um, but I had this expectation that I would just come in and immediately go from point A to point B and kind of skipping everything else that maybe God had for me in between. My approach was not to consider how I could grow into what God had for me. My approach was how fast can I get there? And here's the thing, just because God gives us a glimpse at our destination doesn't mean it's time to land. Just because God gives us a glimpse at our destination does not mean that it's time to land. But if we're gonna start to, understand how we can change the things that we're not in charge of, we have to take in consideration that there is a path that God wants me to take in order to get to the destination that he has for me. And David understood this. See, some of us, we fall into these two extremes. One extreme is, you know what? I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and expect that the destination that God has for me to come to me. That's one extreme. The other extreme is I'm going to do everything that I can to just force my way to get to where I believe God has for me. And, and none of those things works. But David understood that. David understood that there's actually, there's a healthy middle ground between ignoring our desires and insisting upon them. Here's the, here's the reality. David I'm sure David had the desire to go ahead and get to the point where he was seen, treated, and respected like God's chosen one. But David found the balance of kind of knowing when to lean into that desire and knowing when to take a step back. And if you look at Jesus' life in the Bible, Jesus was really never one to be on one extreme or the other. Oftentimes, Jesus found himself in the middle balancing the tension of these things. The tension of, okay, here's, here's where I need to take a step back. Here's where I need to lean in. Here's where I need to take a step back. Here's where I need to lean in. But for us, many of us, we just tend to be on the extremes of it, and we miss the middle ground. And so you might be asking, well, how do I, how do I live in kind of that middle ground space where I, I don't want to just ignore these desires that I know God's put in me, but I also don't want to be too pushy? How do I balance that? Well, how you balance that and how David balanced that was David was just faithful with the little things. David was faithful with whatever God put in front of him. Listen, did you see how he responded when his dad said, hey, I need you to go check on your brothers? David did not say, dad, why am I doing that? He didn't speak back to him. He didn't question it. He just said, you know what? Maybe there's something in me. 
there's something in this that I need to, to learn. Maybe there's something I can learn from this in order to prepare me for the destination that I believe God has for me and being uh, God's anointed one as king. And, and I think for many of us, we just have to learn how to be faithful with what God has already put in front of us. Even if we've gotten a glimpse of the future destination that he has for us. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And this is what David did so well. But I think for many of us, the idea of being faithful in the little things is not easy for us. For some of us, we maybe feel like we're above the little things. But for most of us, it's probably because this, and write this down, the little things are usually way littler than we want them to be. And the length of time God asks us to be faithful in them is usually longer than we want it to be. The little things are usually way littler than we want them to be. And the length of time God asks us to be faithful in them is usually longer than we want it to be. You know, at the beginning, I was talking about layovers, and I love layovers, not because they save me money, but I've learned that oftentimes on this journey of life, God may give us a glimpse of a future destination that he has for us, but I know when it comes to walking with God and following God that we will experience layovers. We will experience delays. But the delay and the layover is not stopping you from getting to your destination. It's actually preparing you for the destination that God has for you. And so what if instead of looking at these layovers and delays as things that are keeping me from our destination, what if we said, you know what, I need to lean into these because these are preparing me for the destination that God has for me. That's what David understood. And doing that is just being faithful with what God puts in front of you. Man, if I, if I have a layover here on this journey that I believe God has for me, how do I just be faithful with God? Well, God, what do you have for me here? God, how can I do the best, the absolute best with what you've put in front of me right now? That's what David understood. Learning in the layovers develops in us a character and faithfulness that's necessary for us to actually thrive at the destination that God has for us. And it's where we experience the power of pursuing our purpose with God. Think about how much more we could do with God and knowing that God is with us. See, what happens is when we just try to get to the destination as fast as we can, we end up actually going without God. Because God was like, hey, I had a layover for you right here. And we're like, well, God, I ain't got time for that. And God's looking ahead at you, and he's like, what are you, where, where are you going? Where are you going? And then we wonder why we feel this lack of readiness, this lack of preparedness, maybe this even insecurity at times when we get to this place. And it's because God's looking at you, he's like, hey, I'm still three steps behind you, and there was something that I needed you to learn right here that would prepare you not even for the next thing or for the destination, but for the next thing. And here's the big idea this morning. How we do what's in front of us will influence what's next for us. How we do what's in front of us will influence what's next for us. I've been thinking about this as we're getting ready to have our first kid. And I know that even though our kid is not here yet, that there are things that God has put in front of me that I need to do 
so that I'm ready for when the kid gets here. Could you imagine if, if you were having a kid and you did absolutely nothing to prepare? And all of a sudden, this baby, you don't have a stroller, you don't have a car seat, you don't have any of that stuff. Could you imagine how crazy that would be? But it's the same when it comes to the purpose that God has for us. God's trying to not just send you to something that you won't be ready for, but he's trying to prepare you along the way. But it's going to take us doing what's in front of us, what God has put in front of us, with the spirit of excellence, knowing that there's something in it for us that we will need when we get to the thing that God has for us. How we do what's in front of us will influence what's next for us. I've been reading these books about parenting. I don't understand half the stuff that's in there, but I'm trying to soak it in because I know that when we hit to the next mile marker of the third trimester, that there are things that are gonna happen that I, I, I can be ready for. I downloaded this app that's called what, what to Expect or something like that. Man, let me tell you. Wow, I'm grateful for technology. And I'm grateful that it's on my phone. I get a notification every day of something new that, that is happening in my wife's body that I need to understand and know that when she's feeling a certain way, it's like, oh, that's because of that thing. That thing's happening now. Um, and, but the same is true of us when we're pursuing our purpose or the thing that God has for us. It's how we manage what's in front of us will actually influence what's next. I remember leaving New York City and I, I, I did everything within my power to say, you know what, I need to leave this place better than I found it. Even as I knew I was transitioning out of my role, I said, man, I gotta do everything that I can to set up the next person to win because I knew that how I finished that season in New York would influence how I started my season here in Burbank. And the same is true for us when we're pursuing this thing that we know God has for us. And so how, do we, how, how can we apply this to our own family? Uh, we just want to encourage you to do this one thing. Identify one thing, one small thing that you can start doing on a higher level right now. I just believe, regardless of the power dynamic that may be in your family, I just believe that there's one thing that you know that you can do right now at a higher level that would bring change, positive change, to something that you're not even in charge of. Maybe the thing that you're thinking about is, man, I need to change this one small thing that's at my job that I could do this aspect of my job at a higher level and it would, it would bring about change, positive change, to something that I'm not even in charge of. And instead of just pouting and being frustrated as to the decisions that might be being made, what if our perspective was, God, what can I do right now that would grow me, but also grow the thing that you have me a part of? as you help me get to the destination that you have for me. Could we just say, hey, I wanna walk out of this place learning how to embrace the layovers rather than loathing them? What I'm not saying is I'm not saying that you have to buy a layover flight every time, but maybe just a couple times, try it and see what God might teach you through the process of it. I would love to pray for you. And um, I want to pray for uh, a couple of groups of people as we were worshiping. Um, can we just thank JR and the worship team and uh, Christian and the production team? Um, like, just, just to make it very clear, like, we don't come in and turn on a switch and all this stuff happens. 
um, they put in a lot of work and, and they just did a great job of leading us this morning. And, um, and so Christian and productive team, thank you guys for what you're doing. And, um, but as we were worshiping, I just got the sense that uh, there are people who uh, you walked into church today kind of on your last leg of hope. Whether it's the uncertainty in your life is overwhelming, not knowing what tomorrow may bring in the world that we live in today was so overwhelming that, you know, I don't, there's no point of having hope anymore, but you found your way into the church today. I just want to pray a prayer over you that I just believe that with God, we can have hope in every situation and every circumstance. His hope, the word tells us, is an everlasting hope. And, um, and I just believe that I don't want you to leave this place not having an opportunity to be filled with that everlasting hope again. So with every eye closed, if that's you this morning, you walked into church and you're like, man, I'm on my last ounce of hope for my life, maybe even for your family. Uh, if that's you this morning, uh, would you just lift your hand up really quick? If that's you. And, uh, and you can put it down. I just want to pray for you. Uh, Jesus, I thank you that your word tells us that you provide us a hope that is an everlasting hope. And it's because of who you are that we can have hope for every season, for every circumstance, even when it doesn't make sense to the world to be full of hope. We know who our God is. God, I believe that all things are possible with you. And so, Father, I pray that you would bring peace where there may be anxiety, that you would bring faith where there may be doubt. Whatever it is, God, would you fill those who lifted their hands and say, hey, I'm on my last leg hope. Would you fill their cup this morning with your hope that their cup would overflow, that they would be full of an everlasting It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. I want to pray for one more group of people. Um, as we were talking, and we've been in this whole series about family month, I, I, I just realized that sometimes family can be a sensitive subject for many people. Depending on the dynamic and the family you grew up in, um, I came from an experience where um, my dad, my sister and I, we found out that my dad was having an affair, and we had to tell my mom that. They went through this process of um, getting a divorce, and fortunately, they were able to reconcile things. They're still married today, but that's been a journey. Uh, but I can tell you that as a kid, being in middle school, finding that out was not easy. In fact, it, it caused a massive rift between me and my dad that I'm still on the journey of finding healing in. And so I know that family can be sometimes a triggering topic. And I just want to encourage you. I, I just believe that regardless of what your family might be experiencing or has experienced, I just believe that God can truly make all things new, that he can bring wholeness to things that may seem broken. And, um, and so I just believe that through this series, one of the things that we've been praying for is within our whole church is just my wife and I, we've been praying for uh, families that may be on the edge of, of breaking that God would just start to slowly mend those things back together. But I believe that maybe some of you are here and you're talking, we're talking about family stuff and it's not easy for you. And I just want you to know that, I know that, but most importantly, God knows that. But I just believe that what if you 
we're God's plan to bring healing and wholeness to your family. And that's the reason that you're here. I know that that was me. In my family's situation, I was the first one to come to know Jesus. And it was through that process of me realizing that I was God's plan to reach my family that we started to experience healing and wholeness. But I believe that if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. And so with every eye closed, if that's you this morning, you're like, man, family is just a hard thing for me to talk about, whether you are you maybe come from a broken family or you're, you're navigating that, whatever it may be, I would love to pray for you. Pray that God would give you courage and boldness to realize that you are his plan to reach your family. So if that's you, uh, would you just lift your hand up really quick? I would love to know who I'm praying for this morning. If that's you, I see this. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. And God, I thank you that uh, you are a God of reconciliation. You are a God of restoration. And, and God, I thank you that you are the one who can make all things new. God, you can bring together what has been broken and you can make it whole again. God, I thank you for what you've done in my family. And God, I know that if you can do it in my family, that you can do it in the families that are represented by those who maybe lifted their hand and they're navigating that. And so, Father, I pray, would you uh, give them peace? Would you give them uh, courage to maybe realize that they are your plan to reach their family, that they are your plan to bring about wholeness and healing and restoration to their family? Would you give them maybe the words to say when there's an opportunity? Would you give them the courage to lean in and not pull away, to love their family members even more? to love them in such a way that doesn't make any sense, but it's the same love that we experience from you. And through it all, God, I just declare healing and reconciliation and restoration over every family that's represented in our church and in this room, and especially those who said, hey, family's a, a triggering topic for me. Would you bring about peace and wholeness to them today? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.